Proud to be sponsored by CBD Vermont. They believe that healthy soils, strong local economies, and plant-based wellness go hand in hand. That's why they work with organic farmers across Vermont to grow the highest quality hemp and produce full spectrum CBD extracts for wholesale. They've recently launched an online store where you can buy Vermont-made CBD products, including oils, capsules, edibles, and topicals that have been fully vetted by the staff at CBD Vermont. As I uh, start to get into old age, have some issues with my knees, sometimes they lock up a bit. Doctor said there might be a bit of a touch of arthritis in one of them. And I uh, recently started using the, the muscle rub from uh, CBD Vermont. I have to say, I've been a pretty pleased customer so far. Got some more mobility doesn't hurt quite as much as it used to. Yes, they ship everywhere. And as huge music fans, they're offering our listeners 15% off of all products. So go to cbdvermont.com and use the code BEYONDTHEPOND at checkout to get 15% off. know that Sirius XM brings you the deepest variety of commercial free music for every genre and for every mood. Where you hear the biggest names in talk, entertainment, and comedy in hundreds of hand-curated music channels designed to fit every mood. Where you get news from every source. Where you can listen to the newly launched Fish Radio in addition to Jam On, Grateful Dead Radio, Pearl Jam Radio, Tom Petty Radio, and many more. Or you can listen to top comedy channels such as Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Radio and Netflix's A Joke Radio and Sports Talk Radio from Barstool to ESPN and more to keep you up to date on the latest news in the sports world. Most people think that you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. Subscribe now to listen outside the car, on your phone, online, and at home and get your first three months for just a dollar. Visit SiriusXM.com slash BTP to see offer details and to subscribe. Start listening today. SiriusXM, no car required. Folks, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned in to episode 72 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast that was, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilized the music of Fish as a means of getting the listener to listen to other bands. 
bands. These are usually not jam bands because, you know, the drill. We love fish. We are fish fans. Sometimes fish fans get a bit myopic. Maybe now that summer tour is over, they'll start listening to some other bands, see some other concerts. You know, once they're done listening to Alpine Night 3 for the 78th time, they can start to listen to some other bands. We're here to help. We are. And uh, I think we're both a little weary coming out of summer tour here, but we're quite excited as uh, we will come to talk about here. We, I think we both were really into a lot of what happened here over the last week of tour. But um, it's time for us as well to turn the page on summer 2019, start getting ourselves back into listening to all the other music that's out there and talking with you all about it, which we are quite excited for. But for the moment, we are focused on Mohegan Sun and Alpine Valley, the final five shows of the summer 2019 tour, which we're very excited to talk about here. Absolutely. Before we get started, just want to do a quick personal note. Uh, if you note, I was uh, unavailable for episode 71. The extremely smart and extremely competent Ben Greenfield uh, filled in. Thanks yes. for that, Ben. Reason was, was um, the day after recording, which would have been July 9th, my two-month-old daughter went into the hospital for open-heart surgery. This was... Um, she was born with a congenital defect that, uh, while fixable, did indeed require open heart surgery. Things went very fast. However, I am extremely happy to say that she's a rock star. She got through it. Uh, her mother and me and her four and a half year old sister got through it. And she went in on Tuesday and we took her home on Sunday and she's doing extremely well. And we have uh, much, much gratitude to um, the uh, pediatric cardiac surgeon, Dr. Kumar, and their pediatric cardiologist, Dr. James Nielsen, both at NYU Langone and uh, the fantastic nurses and staff whom we got to know last week at the hospital. They are running an incredible, incredible ship at the Hastenfeld Children's Hospital. So uh, thank you, NYU Langone. You've... Um, made my wife and I and our whole family very, very happy. So, on a different note, the themes that you can expect to hear in this episode include the conquest of the new songs, atmospheric space and jamming, and was Alpine 3 the best show at 3.0? And on that note, let's get to the fish. Right, guys, thank you so much for joining us here for episode 72. Uh, before we start, I just want to say once again, thank you so much, Ben Greenfield, for your service last week. You were fantastic to co-host with. And Dave, we're so happy to have you back and so, so very happy um, that everything went well for your daughter's surgery. Um, I am happy to be back. Any uh, 
anyone out there in beyond the pond land has something similar that they want to discuss, I'm happy to be a resource. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Um, so we are going to recapable the last week of tour. Um, a really fascinating week of tour. Two venues, Mohegan Sun in uh, Connecticut and then Alpine Valley in East Troy, Wisconsin. Um, for the last time of this tour, at least until Dick's, we're going to break it down with our six uh, six themes here. We might change it up by the time we get Dick's or if they're going to do that December run. We don't really know, but for the time being, this is how we've been uh, approaching the tour. So we're going to kick it off here with the best opening quarter, which is the first half of the first set. So how did the band introduce us to the show? What was the vibe that they set? Dave, what do we have as the best opening quarter of the final week of tour? We had the opening quarter from Friday night at Alpine, July 12th. Sands and Tweezer, Tweezer's direct segue into free, Turtle in the Clouds. Yeah, I think we had some really great opening quarters this week. Uh, First night at Connecticut, more on that in a second. Uh, First night at Alpine Valley, third night of Alpine Valley. Um, but ultimately, this opening 40 minutes of Friday Night Show packs so much energy and variety into it that it's really hard to argue with. On paper, it might not be the greatest, um, but it's really, really solid. And we all it's uh, its really the way that we all hope to feel midway through a first set. You, know, you get Sand, always an excellent opener. Tweezer, that, you know, sure, we'd love to see this kick off set two with a monster 25-minute version. Man can dream. Uh, it's here and it's great in this two slot. The jam is fascinating. It's a perfect example of how well the band has jammed in sub 15 minute ways this tour, and it segues perfectly into free. And to top it off, we might have had the best turtle in the clouds uh, yet. It was a really fantastic version. It's turtles all the way down. Turtles all the way down. Mm. The uh, the sand. It's very good type one monster version. It gets. Very loud, very rocking, and because on the webcast, of course, the sun was out due to uh, when the show started. You can see all of Trey's John Mayer-style O-faces working overtime. (laughs) And then to follow that up with a very well-paced, energetic tweezer made one think we were getting one of those shows. Didn't quite pan out that way. And the the turtle in the clouds actually kind of has the added benefit of Trey. He does... um, palm mute scratches during the choreography part which is kind of neat and i think this is probably the tightest and maybe the longest version of the song to date kind of neat to see it uh in a four slot i guess as opposed to like an encore or uh i don't think they've opened with it other than the original casboat fox but i think four is a good spot for it yeah they played it in a similar slot on twelve twenty nine. Yes. And it worked really well. It's just that great kick of energy. Yeah, it was a three-hole that night. Um, It's just such a great kick of energy. And I feel like it's still, you know, this is a song that gave us Casvolt Voxed. And um, there's always something super special about it when they they play it and when they kick into it, especially early in the show. It just seems to, you know, the energy takes like a huge step forward. Yeah, hopefully at some point we get the big second set opener, Turtles disco funk jam it's got to happen at some point i would love 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 that um that would certainly make us run through a wall speaking of kool-aid man award what do we got for the jam that sort of the segment that makes us want to run through a wall this last week 
the award that makes you feel like an anthropomorphic pitcher of sugar water being served to <laughs> hyperactive children in the 80s. This would be for First Night in Mohegan, July 9th. Energy into Wikipa Groove. Need we say more? <laughs> well, we probably do. Yeah. Um, this was our initial call for the best opening quarter, and uh, it's repurposed here as a gem segment that makes us want to run through a wall. Uh, this was the first energy since August 4th, 2013, a span of 226 shows. And then it jams. I kind of figured they'd give us a four or five minute version and then move on to whatever they're going to play next. Um, and we get it segueing perfectly into the first ever two hole slotted Wikipog groove. I was commuting home when this was happening, and my wife and I both said, oh my god, out loud when both songs began, which was both fun and exciting, and uh, also hearing this on soundboard quality stream in the moment was just awesome. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it looks awesome on paper, and it just is, and this was Fish playing a 10,000-seat arena in a Connecticut casino on a Tuesday night, and it starts off energy into Wikipog. Remember, I saw that coming on my phone. I was housing a huge boast of ramen, bowl of ramen noodles. I got the news that uh, my daughter's surgery went great, and I said, whoa, dude. <laughs> I think we, we both had very, uh, very similar reactions to this, and you know, on a quick side note here about Mohegan Sun, one of the big and best parts about this run was that uh, these shows were broadcast live in soundboard quality on Sirius XM. And just a quick note to Fish Inc., if you're listening, mm. I think I can speak for the entire fan base here when I say we will all pay an additional 2 to $5 a month or whatever it may be if you can include live soundboard audio streams of every single show on tour. We will all pay. We will all listen. I mean, this could be an ad opportunity. You can raise my subscription to $15 a month. Just please, please do it. The only other option for us is just a crappy Mixler links that people will continue to do even if and when they're shut down. Just listen to the wishes of your entire fan base here. This really isn't hard. We will all we will all pitch in for this. Yeah. Uh, like truth be told, during the webcast, I'm listening intently, but often just like chasing after my older daughter or looking at Twitter most of the time. So I'd be just as happy, if not happier, with the band's sanctioned Mixler feed. I, mean, I think yeah. Widespread Panic does it. I'll pay extra. More than happy to. I will pay. That was definitely, uh, that was definitely something that worked really well at the Mohegan run. Um, and I would love to see that, that in the future. Uh, but transitioning forward here. The seemed like a good idea at the time. So what was called during this last week that seemed like a good idea may not have worked out quite as well on uh, on uh, on the tape. So we have for Friday, Alpine Valley, July 12th, the light into plasma, back into light. Yes, and we should be honest, we actually really like this jam segment. Uh Plasma is a perfect pair for a light sandwich, and the flow works really nicely here. Uh, the only problem is this basically just assured us of a ripcorded second set, which we got. Uh, it's right there with St. Louis 1, Toronto, Camden 2, and Fenway 2 for probably my least favorite second sets and or sets played this summer. Um, in addition, Light, whose 100th performance all-time was uh, played here. Oh, I um, know that. Yeah. 
has had such an amazing last few years. You look back, starting in summer 2018, you've got July 20th from the Gorge, August 7th from Camden, August 31st from Dix, October 21st from Hampton, November 2nd from Vegas, December 30th from MSG, July 12th from St. Louis, and or, excuse me, June 12th from St. Louis, and June 28th from Camden. These are all excellent versions of what many will argue is the most consistently great jam vehicle of 3.0. Following a fairly uneven 2015 to 2017, the last two years have been something of a resurgence for it, and you would have hoped at Alpine that they would have gotten another massive version of the song, seeing as it hasn't been played there since 2012. But, I don't know, it was a, it was a bit of a weird call at that point. This is kind of a case of... Uh robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak. I mean, aside from an everything's right with the jam that was uh, akin to, and I think the same key as the funky bit in Pink Floyd's Echoes, uh, was cut way too short. I mean, the set was a little blob to this point. You start thinking, oh, nice. Here comes uh, the 14-minute light jam we're going to be talking about tomorrow. But kind of by throwing the plaza right in the middle, the result was kind of a mediocre light and a mediocre plasma. So the novelty of splitting them up sort of doesn't make up for the fact that neither of the light segments are much more than just very standard. Yeah, yeah. I, I um, Again, I, I do like it. I just uh, I think from a call standpoint in the second set, it, it kind of gave us a signifier of what this set was at that point in time. But transitioning once again here, Probably our favorite segment of the entire uh, summer tour that we've discussed. If this tour were a baseball season, would we be in playoff contention? We've gotten some questions from fans uh, of the pod and of the band, especially as to where we think that uh, the band is at this point in time. Uh, Dave, where would you say they are at this point? I'd say, yeah, we won the wild card game. Now we've made it to uh, the National League or your persuasion American League division series proper so yeah we're in the playoffs and kind of as the year progresses as we get through dicks we get through whether or not there's um fall slash winter tour new year's run we will see where we're at but yeah we're uh we're in the playoffs yeah you know the baseball season is long and winding and uh it's important to remember that even the best teams lose 60 plus games um even the best teams go through losing streaks. It's part of what makes the sport so perfect. You win when you're losing, and uh, it's a goddamn metaphor for life. <laughs> Related, uh, part of what made this tour so unique and fascinating to absorb in real time, and I'm sure it will seem this way upon reflection, were the risks that the band took and the challenges that they set upon themselves by inserting 20-ish new songs into their catalog, with many more that could have been played and were probably sound-checked, while trying to push their jamming forward. Even during the parts of the tour we didn't totally love, here's looking at you, SPAC night one, fourth quarter. The band was always trying something new. No week or run felt the same, and at no point did it feel like the band was going through the motions, even when it didn't work. Say, Mohegan set two, uh, Mohegan two night, uh, Mohegan night two set two. It was still very exciting. If that doesn't sound like a team in the NLDS with a chance to advance, then I don't know what it was. And one final note, just about the sportsification, if you will, of Fish. 
I think you would agree, Dave, and I think this is how we both are. We've seen this kind of discourse wherever we've gone in the fish community. It's not everywhere, but it's large swaths of the fan base. Um, In addition, it's well documented how big a sports fans, especially Trey and Paige, are. Uh, So that sort of stuff tends to fade in and out of their shows from time to time. And, you know, honestly, if they didn't care about sports, then I don't think they'd be celebrating sports championships for their fans when they play in their cities. St. Louis. St. Louis, Mm. San Francisco, even Chicago 2010. There are so many ways to consume and interpret fish. Um, I see on Twitter people doing little prop bets on songs to be played, openers, etc. You know, that's not really something I care that much about, so I don't really participate in it. Um, You know, I kind of just feel like the supposed controversy around sportsification conversation around fish, you know, if you don't really like that discussion or, you know, you really don't want to have that conversation, you can move away from it, start another one. No one's forcing this perspective or this kind of dialogue on anyone else. Uh, And I don't really see anyone changing the way that they interpret the band, nor should they. This is an art project that people consume on a totally individual and unique and also communal level. And I think that's a good thing. And I think that this is, uh, you know, just a fun aspect of, of, of chatting fish. Of course. I mean, it's worth repeating. For me, everything goes back to the uh, famous David Gans essay, Why Grateful Dead Shows Are Like Baseball Games. And I mean, really following fish to me, it's like following a baseball team. Like Every show or game has elements of familiarity. You're always going to get two sets. You're always going to get nine innings. But, you know, you never ever know what you're going to get you can get positively obsessive over statistics and there's some baseball games over the course of 162 game season that are instant memorable classics that you will talk about to your children and their children and a lot more that you'll simply forget but you'll always have a good time and you're always going to come back for more like hope springs eternal but the reason i go to so many fish shows is the same reason i go to a lot of baseball games is that really when it gets down to it, you never know what you're going to get. And as with fish, it's like the home team always wins. So Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, be honest. Over the last week, five shows this tour. How many of these are you actually going to listen to again, Dave? Mohegan well, 1, I'll definitely listen to all that show. It's a very excellent top-to-bottom show. Mohegan Night 2, probably about half of it. First night of Alpine Valley, maybe about 25%. Second night, hmm, 50-60%. Alpine 3, obviously top to bottom, listen to all that. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I think that this is my favorite week of tour that the band played throughout the entire summer. I I think that this has the most re-listability, the most interesting music that was played overall. It's quite interesting. Quite interesting. yeah, I don't even know, with the exception of Night 3, I don't know if I'd call any of them a heater. Yeah. But there's a lot of meat, especially in the Mohegans, which we'll get to. Well, I think Mohegan 1 has some of the best flow of the entire tour. Uh, I thought the first set worked really well in um, you know, the sense that it flowed really well, even if like some of the song choices, some people don't necessarily like Petrichor. I really like it in that spot. I thought it fit really well, uh, lengthwise in the maze. Obviously, the energy to, to Weekapog. Uh, you end with an excellent bathtub gin that should be up there with 
May 28th, 2011, August 21st, 2015, December 30th, 2015, and the August 26th, 16 versions from 3.0. And the second set is fantastic. It's got such great flow with so many new songs. I mean, Soul Planet into Wider, and then Beneath a Sea of Stars into Ghost, into Birds of a Feather. I mean, Foam Returns in the Encore slot for the first time ever. That night one of Mohegan was just such a fantastic show. Absolutely. The uh, Beneath the Sea of Stars, I mean, it's gone so... When they first played it on um, June 29th in Camden, you know, that show kind of emphasized the um, very pretty, like, 80s Dark Star, almost uh, like Lady with a Fan Terrapin Station vibes of the song. But because it was the debut, and because I think it was sandwiched in between, what was it, like, Rift and Waiting All Night? Yeah, yeah. And instead of appreciating it for what it was, people kind of said, like what the fuck is this and why are they playing it here? <laughs> but on this evening, I mean, in addition to having that element of very pretty jamming, it got way out there and kind of explored many different themes and got very driving. And I think it was a little over 16 minutes. Yeah. And it was just, it was a big set to anchor and it kind of, I mean, you didn't even realize that that song was going to anchor the second set. You figured it would have been like the nine minutes of pretty and then it just got up all over the place. It was, uh, I would say, certainly up until Alpine 3, it was beneath the sea of stars, and that was going to compete with the Canon 20 years later for probably the jam of the tour for me. 100%. 100%. Um, Mohegan 2, you know, you said you were listening to about half of it. I agree. Set 1 is fine. There's nothing really that I need to go back and hear over and over again. Um, set 2 has some really interesting jamming. Uh, similar to the night before, but it just doesn't come together in the same way. Uh, Chalk to Torture, Ruby Waves, Seven Below, sees a lot of, of great ideas rise and then collapse, and then they kind of play this bizarre stealing time midway through set two, and somehow it's the third best version ever. Uh, I don't know how they did it, but um, that's kind of a cool approach for stealing time. Uh, Piper back into Ruby into I Always Wanted It This Way. Okay. Uh, saw it again, Kung. Slave Encore? I mean, come on. That's killer stuff. You can't really argue with any of that. Yeah, for me, that second set won the tour award for, uh, hmm, that was <laughs> You know how um, they say with casinos, they pump them full of oxygen to make, like, the denizens, you know, wide awake and alert and hope that'll help them gamble more? Well, I think at separate fish seem to find the only room in the casino with all the oxygen sucked out of it. <laughs> every song in this set was played very slowly and yes. weird weird stuff transpired like they kind of the band simply didn't play in the last 45 seconds of faulty play I think like Paige is playing and someone got confused and they dropped out I don't know um, randomly reprising Ruby Waves for no reason playing I think a six minute version of Piper that wasn't so much a slow build as just played slow so it kind of sounded like a slow build I mean it was not not so much a bad set it's just well a little weird I mean it had a, a very very good seven below good encore um, some interesting stuff and a very very slow 11 minute chalk to torture yes like slow to the point where I mean Trey could hardly sing the song that slow right <laughs> But it's um, kind of fascinating. 
It is. I mean, I enjoyed listening to it, even if there were moments where I was like, what's going on here? And I re-listened to it and uh, it, it holds up in a very strange way, almost similar to when we'll get to it, Alpine Valley Night 2. Um, you know, for me, uh, I, was, I was talking a bit with um, Matt Dwyer about this of HF Pod. This idea of space within the band's sound was a really big thing this last uh, week of tour, and I really like space and atmospheric sounds and whatnot, and um, fit perfectly for my style. Um, but I agree, it was a bit hmm. Um, and then you go to Alpine. Uh, we talked a bit about this. I don't know if we really need to address it again, but. The first quarter. That's uh, that's it. <laughs> Very Trady D show. I think he allegedly had a lot of issues with his gear that night. Yes. The Everything's Right jam, kind of neat. Like I said, kind of uh, Pink Floyd echoes, not nearly long enough. And then you're kind of off in record land. Yeah. But Alpine Valley 2, you have this kind of weird set first set that uh, contains a legitimately great plays on and a phenomenal and thematic set two, which I loved. Uh, part of it reminding me of December 30th, 1999, one of my favorite fish shows of all time. Uh, in it, the band focused all their playing on minimalism. Um, if you haven't heard this show and you love spacey minimalist fish, get this whole show in your ears. All of it was filled with space and that uh, reminded me a lot of what was going on on uh, seven uh, 13 um, you got Jim you got Ghost, Golden Age I mean all these songs flirt with space and atmosphere, the jams get cut off for sure, they could have all uh, wherever, whatever space they were in I would have loved to have heard for 25 more minutes, but um, you know, as it was uh, I really really enjoyed what the band did and I thought it flowed really well together um, I love set too. this uh, to me Got the Maple Knight Award for looking kind of weird on paper, but being sneaky good. Yes, agree. This set was kind of like being at a wedding cake tasting. Like you're not, you know, doing a swan dive into a huge vat of like banana pudding with Nilla wafers like um, Alpine Three. You know, you get there's a small slice of carrot cake, okay, small slice of chocolate, small slice of funfetti, all pretty tasty, and you leave the room feeling really full and happy. <laughs> I love the uh, wedding cake and the maple night too, and or maple uh, set to analogy. <laughs> it's very, very, very much like that. Um, Alpine three. Uh, I feel like we should move into the the last award here for this, uh, perhaps with a preface. The this is why we do this award because I think we're going to get into this pretty heavily here. Um, before we jump in Alpine three, I think we should talk. We we have an honorable mention that was decided upon. Uh, on Sunday morning and we said we'll change this if tonight's an epic show which it turned out to be uh, and so our honorable mention for why we do this is the Beneath the Sea of Stars part one jam um, just really fascinating interesting jamming uh, from the band uh, that I think we're going to play a sample of that because we have no idea how much we would play of the uh, <laughs> Ruby Waves but um, Dave, what are your thoughts, kind of briefly on Alpine Three? It's yeah, top to bottom, arguably the best show since uh, July twenty fifth, twenty seventeen, Jamfield. I mean, it just yeah, it had everything you look for in a fish show. It had a first set with yeah. lots of fan friendly bust outs that some of us had completely forgotten about. Olivia's pool. I'm looking at you. 
but it also had um hmm. you know pebbles and marbles more recent ish and a really smoking version of about to run they're all good yeah. i think that was the best version that trace played the date he was just slaying demons on stage and um uh, the Good Times, Bad Times first set closer. Everyone wants that for the encore slot. Haven't played it much lately. So, fantastic first set. And the second set, I actually have it um, on my phone. I could post it at some point. We were texting back and forth. After uh, the 13-minute Mercury, I think you actually wrote, Trey doesn't feel like jamming anymore. <laughs> I think I did. <laughs> And then Trey was like, fuck you, Brian. <laughs> it's funny because when they started Ruby Waves, my, my brother and I were watching the show together and he just goes, come on, Trey. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we both had a very similar reaction. And Because you know, Mercury Jam was really good. I, I really enjoyed what they were doing. And we know from recent memory that you know they played some fantastic mercuries over the last uh the last um eight or nine months i mean and, it's not just that it's 38 minutes right it's right 38 minutes of good yeah I, I i didn't quite catch it until i re-listened but you know the ruby waves is like two and a half minutes long and then they start jamming which is just a huge and amazing uh development here in 2019 and all the big jams kind of just started within two or three minutes of their song starting like they didn't play around in kind of type one territory for a long time and uh man oh man it's just it's basically 35 minutes of a sound check jam it's unbelievable stuff from them. they yes. sound so free yeah it's not quite like a summer 95 where um you know there's some dross to get to the good stuff some yeah. ambient it's very course the mvp being fishman just doing all sorts of stuff in the background and filling in blanks like it's doing it in his sleep i mean kind of similar to the blossom birds in that way and once you get through that i mean you know there's the twist not that long doesn't need to be and then you get a lot of fish humor which is awesome they're uh, in an extremely silly mood on uh the deaf don't hurt very long and then Iculus, and then You Enjoy Myself would practically like catapult, like a narration and contact. I mean, they were in quite a unique and jovial mood, and it showed on stage. Yeah, and usually you get in either or with, with late era fish. You either get like a big jamming show, and then things get really serious, or you get a really funny show, a la like Meriwether Post Night 2. Um, you know, I'm thinking like the difference between Randall's. 7, 7 uh, 13 14 and Meriwether 7 27 14 where you know you, you just hear these two different sides of fish and it was cool to see that all oh, right combined. talking like Randall's night three versus Meriwether night two of 2014 right yeah yeah sorry sorry um just like this kind of different two different sides of fish you get them combined in one show it's kind of what makes it a little bit more special but I'm curious from your perspective did this change at all how you felt about summer tour like what, what were your thoughts about this as like the closer to the tour um i don't know if the band thought they had something to prove i really i enjoyed the tour quite a bit when i hear something like this it almost makes you wonder can they turn it on and off at will or are there some nights when they're just feeling so good and so free that they can play a 38-minute Ruby Waves, so why did they seem so incapable of doing that on Friday night? Right. You know, you always wonder what's going to the band's head 
what makes the great shows is there any way of predicting it does like the band have no idea what they're going to do until they go out on stage i mean they have i mean that had to be some of that had to be preordained definitely i don't think trey would have uh called for like a 38 minute ruby waves at the rest of the band having no idea right just kept calling for the jam to go on and on and on so one thing um just briefly and then we can um get going at the 28 minute mark of that jam to me it sounds like there's a ghost of the forest to use to the point where yes trey thought about going into ghost of the forest the title track for a sec which i thought would have been an amazing call i mean i'm very happy that they jammed it for an extra 10 minutes but to have an epic ruby waves going into the first ghost of the forest in the tour would have been a statement of purpose absolutely yeah that would have been wild i i, I wonder if he was clock watching at all <laughs> just to be like you know conscious of trying to push it as far as they could i have no idea but um yeah i don't think this has necessarily changed my view to where i have very similar thoughts to you I, I i really enjoyed this tour overall i think it had a lot of challenges and a lot of ups and downs but i really think that um uh, musically, there was a ton in here that I want to continue to absorb and uh, I want to go back and re-listen to um, as we get further and further from it because I think they played around with some really fantastic styles and uh, this show just felt like such a throwback and almost a thank you to the fans for allowing them to, you know, 36 years in, throw down so many new songs and try to work them into their overall uh, repertoire. Absolutely. So uh, Let's listen to... Uh a segment from the Beneath of Sea of Stars, part one from uh, Night One of Mohegan Sun.
already know that Sirius XM brings you the deepest variety of commercial free music for every genre and for every mood. Where you hear the biggest names in talk, entertainment, and comedy, and hundreds of hand-curated music channels designed to fit every mood. Where you get news from every source. Where you can listen to the newly launched Fish Radio, in addition to Jam On, Grateful Dead Radio, Pearl Jam Radio, Tom Petty Radio, and many more. Where you can listen to top comedy channels such as Kevin Hart's Laugh Out Loud Radio and Netflix's A Joke Radio and Sports Talk Radio from Barstool to ESPN and more to keep you up to date on the latest news in the sports world. Most people think that you need a car to enjoy SiriusXM, but you don't. Subscribe now to listen outside the car, on your phone, online, and at home and get your first three months for just a dollar. Visit SiriusXM.com slash BTP to see offer details and, and to subscribe. Start listening today. SiriusXM, no car required. guys hope that you are properly spaced out after that beneath the sea of stars part one jam should note that that is up on youtube the official film from live fish it is so worth watching it's fantastic to see but it's time that we transition here and talk a bit about new albums so i'm going to talk about one of my favorite songwriters who just recently put out an album that I absolutely love is Purple Mountains, Purple Mountains. The first record from David Berman, the Silver Jews frontman who uh, quit music reportedly in 2009 after putting out the final Silver Jews record in 2008. As he said at that time, his father, who was a corporate lobbyist, had done such horrible work in the world that music would never offset this. And for most of the next 10 years, he lived in Nashville in his house surrounded by books and has recently moved to Chicago and is writing and recording in Chicago. Uh, So while the Silver Jews dealt with absurdism and Berman's phrasing and imaginative songwriting, which really elevated simple folk punk songs to near biblical quotes for indie rock fans, their last record... 2008's Lookout Mountain, Lookout Sea was much closer to home while still containing songs like What Is Not But Could Be If and San Francisco BC that felt like Jews classics. Purple Mountains, his newest band, is even closer to home. These songs are more focused on Berman's life than they are on larger ideas and they hit home and reflect Berman, who he is and where he's been. Also, it's backed by Woods, which listeners of this podcast from such episodes as last week's will know how much we love Woods here. Now, it could be argued that Beyond the Pond would not exist without David Berman's music. Dave and I met on Twitter when he recognized my handle as a Silver Jew song. We featured them before and we're both highly anticipating this record's release. Uh, 
It hits home in a lot of ways, and its production is well beyond what many would ever expect from Berman. Berman was initially inspired after 10 years of not playing guitar to pick it up following the death of his mom, promptly writing the song, I Loved Being My Mother's Son. Later on the record, Nights That Won't Happen feels like so much of my life right now. The album's opener, That's Just The Way I Feel, sums up the way I've felt for about the last three years. Lines like, much of my faith has been destroyed, and while a setback can be a setup for a comeback if you don't let up, just resonate so well with me. As well as songs like, all my happiness is gone, darkness is cold, I love being my mother's son, and maybe I'm the only one for me are all David Berman perfection. Point being... If you like this pod, you will love this record. So we're going to go ahead here and listen to the opening track from this record. That's just the way I feel. One of my favorite songs of 2019 off of Purple Mountains, self-titled record, Purple Mountains. Well, I don't like talking to myself, but someone's got to say it hell. I mean, things have not. Brian, I too love that Purple Mountains record. My favorite song on it is actually Snow is Falling on Manhattan. But it's very well produced. It's got all the David Berman mojo that you look for in a classic Silver Jews record. And I think it's a comeback uh, stronger than many of us could anticipate it. So I've been listening to the heck out of that album as well. But because you just talked about it, I don't need to. So I'm going to talk about the uh, recent self-titled album by a band called Black Pumas. And Black Pumas are uh, an Austin, Texas-based duo of uh, the producer-slash-guitarist Adrian Quesada and uh, the singer-songwriter Eric Burton. And they kind of traffic in a brand of uh, like throwback soul and R&B that really evokes the late 60s and early 70s, back when Rhythm and Blues is getting uh, really psychedelic and funky. Certainly, Superfly era Curtis Mayfield comes to mind, and especially uh, especially Isaac Hayes' late 60s albums on the Stax label out of Memphis, such as uh, Hot Buttered Soul and the soundtrack to the original Shaft movie. I think that actually came out in, uh, in 71, if I'm not mistaken. Which is to say, soul that is heavily orchestrated with string sections and horns, 
wah-wah guitar and DNA coil tight rhythm. What's interesting is this band is that it's really only these two dudes because like Quesada, he combines both live instrumentation and samples to create uh, the cinematic tracks over which Burton gets to sing. So while Black Pumas absolutely sounds like, you know, full bore, crack R&B band, the likes of which you would see more recently with the Dap Kings and the Budos band. It's really one of these two guys. It's a pretty cool trick, and it's almost, you can kind of imagine uh, like the RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan, some of uh, his production work sort of uh, sounds similar to uh, what Adrian Quesada is doing here. And, you know, it certainly sounds like something that would be on Dabtone Records, meaning it's unapologetic about looking backwards albeit with really good production values and very good songwriting. So if you like the Dap Kings, Lee Fields, uh, Menahan Street Band, or you know really anything on Stax in the late 60s, you should check these guys out. I know they're currently on tour. I've got no idea what the live setup is like, but I would imagine they'd probably turn into a full-fledged band on stage with uh, lots of session musicians. Otherwise, it would look kind of just stupid to have one guy singing over like another guy making tracks. So yeah, the black Pumas self-titled let's listen to uh, the first song on the album, the uh, black moon rising. so much for black pumas there so for our last episode covering summer tour here at least until we get to dicks it's always the coda we have to say right now uh we are going to open the vaults one more time and talk about what we're listening to right now and uh kind of in the spirit of the alpine night three show we are opening the vaults for you all and showing you what we have been listening to be it old new something that's come back in the rotation something that's been uh one of our favorites for a while here. Just a really fun segment of music. Um, I'm going to talk about a very foundational record for me, Twin Sister Moons, Then Fell the Ashes. So this is the side project of Mehdi Amazine from Natural Snow Buildings and one of my favorite records from 2010. I don't remember exactly where it came in. I know it was outside of my top 10, but it was definitely one of my favorite records that's only kind of grown with me in the time since then. 
It was originally just released as a vinyl in 2010, but it's since really been released on streaming services. And as it was once described to me, this uh, record fuses uh, 70s feminine folk rock, think Judy Collins, Vashti Bunyan, with way out drone rock theatrics. And it is a brilliant combination. Uh, this was another one of those records similar to Wood's Songs of Shame. I talked about last week that uh, I found in a green text thread on Fantasy Tour in the fall 2009, winter 2010 era and just could not get enough of it. Long, long jams throughout. Dissonance, space, patience, noise. I mean, like I said, it's a foundational record for the way that I've listened to music over the last uh, couple of years, the last decade really at this point. The biggest jams are found in the song The Big Sand, which is right around uh, 10 minutes, as well as the album's title track, Closer, which is 24 minutes in length. There's not a ton more I can say about this record because there's honestly not a ton of information about it on the internet. All I will say is it's a haunting, it's a gorgeous record. It uh, is sees ambient melody dotted throughout with heavy noise and it makes it really re-listenable something you will want to understand more and more with every single listen i cannot recommend it highly enough like i said it's been a huge record for the way that i listen to music so we're going to play the song trailer which is probably the most accessible and prettiest track on the record and if you listen to it in the context of the full record you kind of reach the song trailer and it just feels like this arrival moment if you will uh, but we're going to listen to the song trailer off of twin sister moons then fell the ashes <laughs> for that song from Twin Sister Moon I have to check them out I will say I'm uh, somewhat unfamiliar with that group so now I'm not going to talk about an album but I'm going to talk about an artist who I've been listening to a bit lately because to me she's uh, I guess you could say comfort food and I'm going to bring her up because I'm almost kind of curious to see if anyone um, out there and uh, beyond the pondland has heard of her this is a woman named name is Cattell Koenig. She was uh, born in Brittany, I want to say, in 1965. And I think right now she splits her time um, between Dublin and Wales and New York City from time to time. 
She's uh, a female singer-songwriter who came of age, and I guess in the mid-90s. She was uh, a contemporary of Jeff Buckley and actually would uh, play shows at the Chenet Club on St. Mark's Place that Jeff Buckley kind of put on the map with the Live at Chenet recording. She put out two albums in the 90s on Electra. 1994 was her debut album, Seasons of Castles. 1997 was the album Jet, and then nothing until 2004. Wow, I think the self-produced independent High July. And nothing until 2010 with At the Mermaid Parade, and has not put out anything since. This is um, I got to know Katal Keenig simply because my wife was a very big fan from seeing her left uh, like gig around New York City in the late '90s and the early 2000s. And this was a story of an artist who, I guess she had like a six-album deal with Electra in the 90s. They really were looking forward to pushing her, kind of, um, you know, thought about making her like the next Natalie Merchant almost type. But then due to a regime change at Electra Records, all the people who supported her had kind of went away and she kind of got shunted aside. Also, I guess for like willingness not to work with certain producers, not to do things in a certain fashion. Sort of, um, I guess, more fame kind of eluded her, whether she was unwilling to get out of her own way or simply kind of didn't want it. It's hard to say, but she kind of did a lot of gigs at the now defunct living room venue in New York in the mid 2000s. Would usually the same 50 or 75 people would come out. Uh, me and my wife often would go see her at that venue. And way back in 2006, there was a big New York Times article written about her. If you Google Cattell Keenig in New York Times, you can read it. And that was sort of supposed to be her kind of reintroduction on the scene of sorts. I know she played the 500-seat Bowery Barroom shortly after the article. And the same 75 people that go to the living room shows go to went to the Bowery Barroom, and that was about it. And then they... Um, talked about an album that she was recording in 2006. That album didn't come out until 2010. And I kind of don't know what she's up to now. But I will say, all four of the records she put out are fantastic. The first three are on Spotify. Uh, The most recent one, At the Mermaid Parade, is on her Bandcamp page, not on Spotify. And the album she put out in 1997, Jet, excellent songs, Suffers a bit from kind of late 90s, somewhat shiny, robust production. So I'm going to play the song Smile. was a single, was uh, the third song off that album, because I think it's one of her more accessible songs. I think her best known song might be uh, the song The Gulf of Araby off her first record, because uh, Natalie Merchant covered it, may have even played it on Saturday Night Live. Hope that uh, Cattell is getting some residuals from that. But she's a fantastic singer-songwriter, not nearly as famous as she should have been or maybe wants to be, and still holding out hope that there's another record in the works where uh, she comes back to New York and plays a residency like she used to. So, absolutely worth checking out Cattell Keenig, and let's listen to the song Smile off of the Jet album. Holy Moses 
right, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out with us here in episode 72. Uh, Dave, welcome back one more time. Ben, one more time. Thank you so much. Um, so a couple songs that we featured here in an episode where we talked about the last week of Fish's summer 2019 tour until Dick's. Uh, Purple Mountains, Purple Mountains, the song That's Just the Way I Feel in new album recommendations, as well as Black Moon Rising off of Black Puma's self-titled. And I don't have the data in front of me, but I have to imagine that is the first time we've both featured self-titled records in the same segment. Let alone self-titled records with uh, with colors in their title. This is true. Where is our very own... Uh, Scott Marks to answer this question for us on the fly. Um, BTP in, statistician. No. <laughs> yeah, we, we, are, we are in the market for a BTP statistician. Um, what are we listening to right now? That segment we talked about. Uh, I featured Twin Sister Moons, Then Fell the Ashes, the song trailer. And Dave featured Cattell Kinegs. Did I just say that right? Kinegs. Cattell Kinegs smile off of the album jet so we are on social media you can find us on twitter at underscore beyond the pond sometimes brian tweets from it sometimes i do there's clues to figure out who is doing what we've got a simple cast page beyond the pond always on spotify we have the beyond the pond podcast song playlist where you can find every song that we featured that's available on spotify it's probably got over 400 songs at this point a little bit of a mess that's what makes it fun and be sure to check out the other uh, fantastic podcasts in the osiris podcast family which we are proud to be a part of that is at osirispod.com and leave us an itunes review we read them they're fun, and it helps increase our visibility in Tim Cook land. Absolutely. And publishing structure. So you guys are going on your seventh straight week of Beyond the Pond. <laughs> thank mm. you all for as many listens as you've given us. Uh, thank you, Dave, for working through a very intense two months that you have had, uh, as if having a newborn and adding another child to your family is not enough. Uh, you guys had a lot of medical uh, stuff to work through that I know had to be wearing on you. This yeah. has been a ton of fun over the last two months to push out this many uh, episodes, but I think we're both uh, <laughs> a little bit exhausted at this point. Thank you all, though, for listening. Thank you, all of you who have followed us along summer tour. We know we can get a bit wily here and there. We appreciate all of your support and engagement. Um, we're going to start working back towards our every other Tuesday schedule until we get to the end of summer here. Um, so if you don't see a new Beyond the Pond in the next you know, two weeks or the next week, don't panic. We will have a couple bonus episodes here for you guys as we're restarting our march towards the best albums of the 2010s which will be coming out later this uh, this year. But uh, yeah, I think uh, we're really excited to get back to some traditional episodes here, get back to a little bit more of a traditional uh, schedule of releasing episodes. Um, but this has definitely been a ton of fun. I really enjoyed covering this summer tour here for, with you. Absolutely. It was a ton of fun. In addition to being a ton of fun, it was a very good distraction from um, yes. some of the medical <laughs> issues that 
had been discussed. But so let's hear it for distractions. Let's hear it for science. Science yeah. is real. Science is very important. And for a lot of the know-nothing, old, largely uh, Caucasian men in power who wanted to disown science, well, fuck you. What's great about science is even when you don't agree with it, it's still very real. Yeah, I uh, I know all too well, as you all heard me in early BTP episodes, I've seen my own medical insanity with people that I love dearly, and uh, I only have science to thank for getting us through that and uh and fully there with you if you discount it go fuck yourself science and education it's the only way we're ever going to get through but thank you for listening and paying attention thank you for your very kind comments on twitter thank you for your itunes reviews uh we love doing this we'll continue doing it until you tell us to stop and then come back a little bit probably have a more traditional episode in store we'll hold hands sing kumbaya we'll fight fish myopia and we will go beyond the pond all my happiness is gone all my happiness is gone it's all gone somewhere Osiris.